chapter 1. I'm going to wander a little bit, but it's one of those introductions that in the moment you'll wonder where I'm going, but after about five minutes you'll, you'll understand why we just journeyed the way that we did. So if you want to open up your Bible to Psalm 1, and then also if you have a bookmark, put a bookmark in Ephesians because a number of times we're going to be going back to the book of Ephesians. So Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Such great wisdom from God, such great directives, such great truths there, isn't there? The last two times I've spoken up here, I've made a comment. I've said, we find in Scripture... It is the will of God to have the Spirit of God use the Word of God to enable the child of God walk like the Son of God for the glory of God. I'll say that again. I'm not trying to be clever in words, but to get a point across. We find in Scripture, it is the will of God to have the Spirit of God use the Word of God to enable the child of God walk like the Son of God for the glory of God. Is that a true statement? Is it a biblical statement? In other words, is it a God-honouring statement? Does God, through his Spirit, use his word to do a daily sanctifying work in his redeemed, in the believers, in his church? Does he? enable you to become more Christ-like? The obvious answer is yes. And over the next about 25 minutes, we're going to wander through with an intentional direction in Scripture. We're going to open up together and we're going to look at that statement that I've said, how it is true that I haven't got it myself in my own wisdom, but it's simply from lines pulled out of Scripture we're going to see that it is found in Scripture, that it is the will of God to have the Spirit of God use the Word of God to enable the child of God to walk like the Son of God for the glory of God. So let's open up our Bible. And as I said, we're going to go to Ephesians. And I would like to briefly start off with, by way of introduction, ask that you consider the following verses, following passages that we're going to read here and I'm going to make a brief comment after I've read them and just consider what God has done for you, given you and how he has resourced you and why. Okay, so the first one is in Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. It says in Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us 
with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Blessed with it all. Spiritually, we are blessed with it all. We don't lack a thing. God said that. That's what God says. And he also says it's with the aim to, pre to present us holy and blameless in the future before him. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk worthy of your calling. So the calling is in reference to your salvation and the way that God has resourced you, the gifts he has given you and that he has given you himself. So now go on to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as loved children, beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So we are to be imitators of God. Now keep your finger in Ephesians, but jump across to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. 1 Peter 1 and Verses from verse 14. As obedient children do not as obedient children do not be conformed to the former lusts which were in your which was in your ignorance, but like the holy one who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behaviour, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. What a huge call. Walk worthy, be imitators, be holy as God is holy. What a huge call. Now back to Ephesians chapter 5 again and verses 26 and 27. 26, so that he might, so this is Jesus and the church, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. They're pretty big words, aren't they? To be holy and blameless before God. So where are we heading? Well, as I said, we're going to open Scripture a bit more. And so it's every comment I make, we're going to read a passage associated with it. Okay, so we're going to open up and look at God's sanctifying work in you, in me, in every believer. His intent to grow us to be Christ-like so that one day that we are presented before God, before Christ, holy and blameless. That's amazing, isn't it? And that is it will be our glorified state. So sanctification, what is it? If we look through scripture, we find that sanctification 
is a work of God in each and every believer personally to grow you, to grow me from unrighteousness to righteousness. That is in both our daily life and in our salvation. Also, it's from the old dead life to true life in Christ. It is to grow each of us from me-likeness to the likeness of Christ according to God's calling on each of us. It is from ignorance of God to a personal knowledge of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks a little bit and explains this a little bit more. And we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us an instruction as to how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you, just as you actually do, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honour, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress or defraud his brother in a matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has, has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So God's work in you is all about taking you from to. Taking you from unrighteousness to righteousness taking you from a place of ignorance where you don't know to where you are illuminated by the Spirit from his word. And we'll see more of that part coming up. So that scripture here that we've read so far has clearly told us, and it's for every believer, not just me, not just you, but believers all over the world, God calls each of us to a life of sanctification. Now, earlier on, the verses that I first read from Ephesians, they are ones that we often talk about and use in relation to our service. But they are also and our, they are also related to our sanctification. God gives us all these spiritual blessings. And as we read in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, that before the foundation of the world, he had it ready for Jeff Seabee. So that when he was... Um, Saved when he put his faith in Christ as his saviour, that there was nothing lacking for him, that there was nothing lacking for you if you have truly put your faith in Christ, in his death, his blood that paid for your sin, and that you believe in him and his resurrection, that, that, that you have that forgiveness, you have that blessing, that spiritual blessing of everything there that God then builds on with, with a great intentional purpose and plan, full of wisdom. So he trains you one way. He trains me another way. So there are parts where it is from unrighteousness to righteousness. There are ways that he sanctifies and grows some of us from one characteristic to another characteristic, enabling us so that we can use the gifts that he has given us that are in amongst what 
is in that verse um, 3, every spiritual blessing. And we'll read more about this later on in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So some of our sanctification, what happens in us, some of it is the same. And some of it is different according to the equipping and the gifting that God has given us and the direction he wants us to go in life. So let's keep going. Let, and let's understand that God's the sanctification is God's blessing on his own. It is a work of necessity. It is a work of grace. And it is in unity of his calling of us. It is in unity with his calling of us. Sanctification is more than a religious word. It is God's word. It is God's work according to his will, according to his holiness, which he only can do. He is our sanctifier. Separation unto God, because it, it is he who causes it, and he is the author of our sanctification, so that we can be holy and blameless before him for all of eternity. Sanctification, it's when the righteousness of God dictates our life. If you turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 17, and we read, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you become obedient from, from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. So this is where righteousness of God dictates. You became slaves to righteousness. And I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification. But we must understand all of what I'm saying here. There are three aspects of sanctification. I've mentioned them all, but I want to just pause and give a bit of clarity. There is a sanctification in salvation from being unrighteous completely to being forgiven and declared righteous before God. There is the daily sanctification where God continually works on us and grows us more in our character, in who we are, in our words, our thoughts, our actions, so that we reflect Christ. There's also our future glorified sanctification. When God changes us and enables us to stand before him pure, holy and righteous for all of eternity. And that's amazing, isn't it? And often these three aspects are referred to as justification, sanctification and glorification. But we're going to mainly concentrate on the middle one, just the day-to-day -day sanctification. And we're only just going to touch it. We're going to touch a slight slither of what sanctification is because there is so much to it. There is so much to it. So let's do a little bit of reminding here. So earlier we read from Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4 where we are told that every believer is blessed 
blessed with spiritual blessings and we have all of them. We don't lack. None of us do. We have all the spiritual blessings but we need to be sanctified so that we grow and we mature in them, in the gifts that we have, in the resources that we have in us. We read also in verse 4 that it was from the, before the foundation of the world. Now, I was doing a bit of recreational tillage yesterday and that's when it hit me. You Wally, you forgot the church computer. Oh no, Ah, what am I going to do? So I tried ringing, I found out that Hayden was on, I tried ringing him, didn't get through. I tried Nola a couple of times, finally got through to her. I was unprepared. But Christ isn't, wasn't and never will be in having already our spiritual blessing, having everything prepared before we even existed, before anything of this world existed. And was all there ready so that when we believed in Christ, that we would be fully equipped, not in all maturity, that comes through the process of sanctification, but it is all there. We fully have God. We fully have all our gifts. We fully have his access to him. We fully have the ability to share in God's divine nature. These are all things that are declared in Scripture. Nothing's new here. I'm not preaching a new gospel, but it's one that is written here and declared by God. We, find, we found, I read earlier too from Ephesians. In Ephesians 1.13 it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So just another verse, just to add to it, so that you know that you have the Holy Spirit completely and fully. You are sealed with him. He is the guarantee of your salvation, if you were to read on into verse 14. So that is a part of every spiritual blessing. In Ephesians 2.18, it says, For through him, this is through Christ, we both have our access by one spirit to the Father. Remember about a minute ago I told you about how we have access to God. Here it is written. It's not me saying it. God has said it. I'm repeating it. And this is something that you know, most of you know, and it's a great encouragement, isn't it? You imagine if you had to put up with me being the one who is in charge. Or if we had to put up with you being the one who is in charge. We're all incompetent at times. We don't live holy lives in and of ourselves. We can't really equip or resource everyone in the world. But there is one true God who has done all of this for us so that he can sanctify us, so that he can grow us to maturity and so that one day we can stand before him in, in holiness we can, and be completely blameless. That's amazing, isn't it? So we have complete spiritual blessing by God. We have the Holy Spirit automatically and permanently in us with whom we have access to the Father because of the saving work of his Son, Jesus Christ. This means that we don't have to ask for, welcome in, beg for, demand, because we have access to God. We have every spiritual blessing 
that he, God, in all his wisdom, has said and knows that we need. Why? How did this happen? Because God said it and God did it. It can't be altered. God has said it and done it and it is final. So let's read how this is all going to play out in our sanctifying work or the sanctification of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, there's a few verses here I'd like to read. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, But God has revealed, has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which a man's wisdom in the teaching, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. So these are verses that are saying and saying where we can draw from, that is the work of the Spirit who teaches, illuminates us in understanding of his word. So the Holy Spirit teaches us comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them, but they are, so because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For, we, for who has known the mind of God? and that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. So we are blessed. That's only if you're saved, only if your faith is in Jesus Christ. Not because you've prayed a prayer, not because you thought God was good enough and therefore he had to come and save you. No, we are all wretched sinners of no worth before God. And he redeemed us. It was God who came and died on the cross Shed his blood intentionally. We read, remember back in First Timothy chapter one verse fifteen, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is why he came. That is where our faith is. So if our faith is in Christ, then all of what we're talking about is ours, and the Spirit works in us to sanctify us, to grow us, to illuminate us in His Word. But if you're not, you won't. You'll struggle. You might. Pick up this book with boredom or with a little bit of intent and you won't get the understanding out of it. The Spirit will not give you illumination to sanctify you. The only part of sanctifying work that the Spirit will do in your life, if you're an unbeliever, is he will want to take you to a point of being a believer, to take you from being unrighteous before God to having faith through Christ where you can stand before him as sanctified in your position that you are a child of God through faith in the work of Christ. So as we have just read here from 1 Corinthians 2, we not only have the Spirit of God as he's redeemed, as his children, 
but by him were enlightened, illuminated by the Spirit of God, taught by the Spirit of God. We are talking of the Spirit's work of illumination and teaching. He gives us new understanding of his word. That is why sometimes we open up, we read a passage or a book and we think, yeah, we have pretty good understanding. Not in pride, but just a reality that we've gained an understanding here. Then we come back six days or six months later and think, wow, where on earth did that come from? I didn't see it before. But that is God working in us according to his will in the way that he wants us to grow at the rate of maturity, the things he needs us to be prepared in for tomorrow, for this afternoon, so that we will have understanding. It's in God's wisdom and in God's timing that he illuminates, that he teaches, that he enables and resources us. So just a brief side note in this, I just want to just mention what I mean by illumination. The enabling and enlightening work of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who lives in believers, he gives us the un- enables us to have the understanding of God's word in accordance with God's will. So... It's not interpretation. Every time we open the Bible, we don't have to try and interpret it. It's not interpretation where we, in our own ability, we try to grasp what's going on. We'll get out a dictionary or whatever and try to think, what on earth's going on here? It seems all silly to me. And it's not a revelation because we read in Scripture that Scripture is complete. We'll read in a minute that In reference to scripture, it is complete. We cannot add to it, but yet God will illuminate us with it and he will guide us, he will sanctify us. So let's read that. Don't just take my word for it. Let's turn to Romans 16. Romans 16 and verse 25. Now to him... Uh, Verse 25, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. So here God through Paul is explaining a lot of these things they were hidden before. They didn't grasp it because they weren't fully revealed to them. But now they are. And if we were to go back to Ephesians chapter 3. And for the sake of time, I'll just read parts of it. But if you were to later read verses 1 to 9, it gives it a bit more background and a bit more understanding. But he says here that in verse 3, says that by the revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote of before. And if you skip down to verse um, 8, it says, to me, the very least of all the, of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that in the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confidence in our access through faith in him. 
So this is talking about, previously, all of what we have is the New Testament. So much of it was not revealed by God. The Old Testament saints did not have that knowledge, did not have that understanding. They knew that there was a saviour coming. They knew that different things were going to happen. If you read, such as in Isaiah, there's a couple of parts there where it talks about these prophecies, but yet the people, they just, even the prophets, did not understand what was going to happen fully. They repeated the words of God. They told the message, but they didn't have full comprehension. They didn't have full comprehension of the coming Messiah. How could it be that it would be by faith alone? How, they would say. How? Because they had to kill the, the lamb. There had to be that guilt offering. There had to be things done. But yet there was going to be a way that was by faith alone. They didn't get it. It was hard. Many of them didn't. Because God hadn't granted to them the understanding. And that's what these passages are talking about. It's through God's chosen people, through the apostles, that God chose to reveal his truths to us so that we could have understanding, so that we could have the New Testament. We had all the scripture written down for us and that through the illuminating work, the word would come alive to us that would have not just knowledge, but understanding that builds a relationship with God and enables us to become more Christ-like. So the illuminating work of the Spirit is in believers only, we saw back in 1 Corinthians 2. And we see this is further explained in Romans 8. Verse 7 in Ephesians, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 8, it says, Romans 8 verse 7, Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. We read that back in First um, Corinthians as well. Verse 8, And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit, he does not belong to him. So you understand there? He's coming up both ways. As the redeemed, you have the spirit in you. But if you don't have the spirit in you, you are not Christ. You are not saved. So let's keep reading. And we'll jump down to verse 28 of Romans 8. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of Christ. So this is a little bit a mix of back in Ephesians verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, which is talking about he planned ahead. We see the word predestinate here. And it's also about becoming more Christ-like, that you would be conformed to the image of God, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. That is the amazing work of God in each of us, each and every believer. So... In verses 7 and 8, we saw that we live by the Spirit to please God. And that's not possible if we don't have the Spirit in us. That is, if we are not saved. 
Verse 9 states, that this, again, that the Spirit is in you and me. The Holy Spirit is in you and me. Verses 28 and 29. 28, he says about how God causes all things to work together for good, for our good. And that's in reference to our sanctifying process or his sanctifying process in us. Verse 29, God in his foreknowledge planned for us who believe a process of sanctification. And it's an essential part of my life and it's an essential part of your life. You imagine if you had to spend all of eternity as an immature believer in Christ, that would be great. But when you know that you could be holy and blameless before a true, holy and righteous God, how much greater would it be if you could stand there holy and blameless? And that is God's plan and God's will which he will bring about with each and every believer. So why the link with the word? What's so good about this? Well, let's deal with that. Let's read. Well, let's read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Let's talk about this book, these words. You have a copy, I have a copy. Many of us have multiple copies. We're reading 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture... So all of the book that is actually scripture before you, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So this is all talking about sanctification, isn't it? You and I growing, you and I maturing. Here it is right here in 2 Timothy verses 16 and 17. Verse 17 says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto good works. So again, this is talking about sanctification, God growing us, God maturing us. So the foundation of our sanctification is God. It is solely a work of God. He in us, using his word, his word that is profitable for doctrine, for profitable for reproof, profitable for for correction, profitable for instruction in righteousness. It is inspired by God, as it says there in verse 16, therefore it is infallible. There's no mistakes in it. It is profitable. It is God's key to the work of God in us. It, is, it says there that we'll be thoroughly furnished, thoroughly and that's not my thoroughly this is God's version of thoroughly so the foundation and the work is solely God in us a work which he planned long ago before the world began with enabling and equipping believers from their point of salvation so let's talk a little bit about the, more about the sanctification the actual process because in first, that's a feeling of sanctification. If we were to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, you would read through there about our gifts, how God equips us with our gifts. And you would read that he's according to his will and his purpose. And there the gift is in the traditional stereotype way that we use the word as believers, as in the gift of teaching, the gift of what healing and so on goes through them there through several verses 
It's not a complete list, but it gives an example. But the key there to me, and I want to bring out to you, is is by the will and the work, the power of God through the Holy Spirit that gives you your gifts. And that is to each and all of us completely at salvation. So as we saw back in Ephesians 1, as we read in Romans, and as in many other places in Scripture, our gifting is a gift. It is a privilege. It is a responsibility. And through God's sanctifying work, we mature and that gift is enabled to come out and be used through God's strength alone, not ours, not mine, to honour him, to glorify him, to bear fruit. And if you were to read through there, you would find in verse 11, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11 it says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So it's not about me going back to God and saying, God, I don't like my gift. Can you give me that one? No. It's all according to the wisdom and will of God through his spirit. Verse 18, but now God has placed, so this is working in, still on that same theme of how he gifts us and equips us in the, and then builds on that in his sanctifying work. Verse 18, he says, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Just as he desired. So it's not about me wanting to and doing. It's about me in my relationship with God following through in obedience to his direction. Because we read in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 that we're immersed into the body of Christ by the Spirit of God. Once again, it is the work of the Spirit in us. He gives us the gifts. He enables us through sanctifying, his sanctifying work in us to mature and have the ability to use them. It is he who places us into the body at his will and with his wisdom. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, we see that gifts are given also for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, for the building up of the body of Christ. So it's all about God and his church. It is a work of God. God, since eternity past, has desired and planned the best for you to be Christ-like, to be in Christ, to be in his body, and to be under a process of sanctification, the work of the Spirit in you. Ephesians 3, verse 16, it says, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. So it's the work of the Spirit that strengthens, not me, not you. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend all, sorry, with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth and the height. It's talking about God and his wisdom, his holiness, his righteousness, all of who he is. Through the illuminating work, the power and the strength of the Spirit in us that we are able to grasp at all who God is. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge 
that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's an ongoing work, isn't it? Sanctification. In John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. And as time's going on, I'm just going to quickly go on a little bit here um, to finish up. But I want you to understand, think about scripture, think about John 15, the vine and the vine dresser. How we, how it's, the picture is given there, the vine and the vine dresser, how we are pruned. Sometimes in our lives there are ouch moments where we realise we've been a wally because we acted in ignorance. We could have pursued God and we could have known by now, but God brings back to remembrance his word. God in us, his spirit. And then he graciously enables us to be humbled and to grow. Or the ouch moment might be that, oh, those shears that come in on that vine, that hurts because I've sinned. The work of the spirit in me. The ouch through the work of the spirit can be something that is great when we obediently repent when we obediently follow through. Because in that passage in John 15, you, would fi- you find there, as you, as you remember, or as you will read through later, that when a vine is pruned, you bear more fruit. I've got two grapevines out the south end of my house. They used to be at mum and dad's. I shifted them, and I'm not quite as diligent as dad of, as looking after them. When mum and dad had the grapevines, and some of you would have seen, they were good-sized grapes. Well, for me, they're probably about pea-sized, a little bit bigger. Not quite there. A testimony, a reminder of the fact of what God says. When you are pruned, when you are refined, when you are cut back to the essentials, and you don't have all the garbage, the unrighteousness in you, you produce fruit that glorifies God, it says there in John 15. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The spirit illuminates and through so far I've mainly focused on the work of the spirit. But to give you an illustration, I urge you to do your own homework here. Pursue God for yourself in this um, work of sanctification so you understand what he's doing. But as an example, you'll find in Scripture many places that the Holy Spirit is not the only one doing a sanctifying work in you. You'll find, for, for example, in Colossians 3.11 and many other places that Christ is in you and you are in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3.16 and many other passages, you will read of the Father is in you. God the Father is in you and you are in him. You'll read in 1 Corinthians 6.19 and many other passages of the Holy Spirit that is in you and at work in you. In Ephesians 3.20 and in 1 Peter, uh, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, you'll read of the power of God at work in you. 
There is so much more that could be said. All as we've done is a bit like a speck of dust in our grasp, in our look, in our consideration of God's sanctifying work here in these last few minutes. There is so much more to it. I urge you, as you've seen, it is necessary to be in communication with, with God. It is necessary to be pursuing God in his word diligently. It is necessary to be responding in the right manner to God when he directs you, when he causes that ouch, or whether he encourages you and it's more of an amen. These are essentials. Just like a vine, you cut off that branch and throw it off to the side, What's, what happens? It dies. Out behind Dad's chookyard from where he pruned the vine all that time, there's rotting sticks out there. They produce nothing. And it's the same for us. If we don't work in unity with God, if we neglect God in prayer, if we neglect him in his work of sanctification, if we neglect him in his word, it's like cutting ourselves off off at the neck, literally, we'll become dead before him. But enjoy the blessing, the privilege of being God's child and being sanctified by him, by being obedient, by being repentant, by being fruitful, because this is the work of God in you, the work of the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you. You are so gracious. Each of us, Lord, if we were to write a book about our lives, there would be many chapters we wouldn't print. We wouldn't even write down a note about them because we're ashamed at some of the things we have thought, some of the things we have done. But God, you know you know us in every personal, intimate way. And Lord, you are yet so gracious to us. You are so faithful to us. Lord, you want to sanctify us, to grow us so that we can become more, more Christ-like. So Lord, help us not to forget to pick up your book, the Holy Scriptures, and to read them with a passion. Lord, help us not to lose our love for you so that we can be faithful to you, so that your sanctifying work in us is a blessing and that we don't feel the weight but we rejoice in its blessing so lord as we go forward as we pick up your word as we pray with you as we listen to you in our lives we see your testimony lord help us not to lose heart in in life but to gain strength in who you grow us to be in you because you are in us so god thank you for your word thank you for being faithful to us amen